we're um, responsible as uh, elders to teach the full counsel of God. And um, I've, I've thought a lot about today, prayed a lot about today, actually for a really long time, as in a couple of years. Because uh, honestly, this is a, a very heavy subject. And um, one of those things that you, you look and, and wonder, Lord, what is the perfect time to bring the message? And um, it seemed in the providence of God that the, this morning was it, and I reminded myself over and over again that he knew all the events and where every single person would be at this time. We're going to talk about suffering and suffering in the glory of God. And I want to put a disclaimer up front, if I might. I'm not some kind of an expert on suffering. And so that's not my my purpose here. God's Word has answers for our suffering, and it gives us direction in our suffering. And one of the things that we'll see as we look today that maybe you have never come to grips with, maybe you've never thought about it. I, I know when it began to hit me, it rocked my world. And that's the fact that all suffering is to bring glory to God. And um, that sort of changes everything in your outlook if you're a believer. There's no way in the world I could dive deeply into this topic and bring it to you in one morning message. This is something that could be unfolded over a month and not be exhausted, so there'll be some skipping like a rock over the water. I've provided for you a handout. It's in your bulletin. It's in the insert. The reason for the handout is for yourself to take, study, and read the verses and consider the flow and the truths that are there to help yourself in your time of difficulty and trial and struggle, struggle, the storms of life, but it's also as a church body, as we speak truth one to another to help you be able to help somebody else. Because I know this for sure, right now, you're either coming out of a very difficult time, you're in the midst of an enormous difficult time, or you're doing pretty good, but there's a difficult time right around the corner. And there's nobody that doesn't fit in one of those three categories. And so... Um, these truths are essential. Um, if you want to climb up the ladder out of despair, out of the shock, out of the crisis that hits you in the gut um, when something comes into your life so uh, totally unexpected. So I'm very mindful that sitting right here today, there are people that are going through tremendous grief, tremendous sorrow. And... Um, the last thing I would want is for this message in any way to be any pretense that I think the answers to suffering and to your grief are simple. That it's somehow a three-step process and you just get over it and you walk away. Uh, please don't take it that way. It's hard. It's very hard. But God still gives us answers and he's given us his Holy Spirit and he's given us the body of Christ that we can, as we'll see, Suffer like Christians. And so that's what I want to help us to be able to do today and to uh, help uh, one another. So that's, that's the goal. And uh, we're going to begin to, we're going to begin to work through it. So, let me state the obvious. Life is hard. 
Life's difficult. It has many trials and there's many tribulations and we, we suffer often. And because this is such a heavy topic, I could not resist doing this. For those of you that know me really well, I'm sorry. But besides being a Yankee, I also love cartoons and comics. Matter of fact, I have some special friends that send them to me all the time. It's just sort of a private thing we do back and forth. I drive my wife crazy because all of a sudden, in the middle of something really serious, I'll show her a cartoon. Um, but the Bible says laughter or a merry heart is a good. Do you know your Do you know your medicine? What is it? A good what? Medicine. Book of Proverbs. And so there's a, a point and a place for appropriate laughter. I have a different sense of humor in all of you, so maybe you won't see the humor in this as we dive into something really heavy. But I sort of like Charlie Brown. I identify with him. And Charlie Brown summed up his life one day this way. I have a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. I got thinking about that. Sounds similar to what Christ had said to us in the Sermon on the Mount in um, Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious for tomorrow. I don't think he was saying, but dread one day at a time. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, we have that sense sometimes. It seems like there's a black cloud over us and it's following us and we just can't get out of the gloom and the doom. And that's what I hope to help you uh, with uh, today. Suffering comes in many forms. It's, it's usually got a base. It usually has a root. And, and, and the root is the sense of loss. You've lost something. Maybe you've lost a, a relationship. Maybe you've lost employment, a job, income. You've lost security. You've lost reputation. Um, you've lost your health. Um, you've lost a life. And your world has been rocked uh, because of it. And, and those things are very, very painful uh, for us. And uh, certainly in a very real way cause us to suffer. But we don't have to hope. We don't have to dread. We have hope. We have, we have real answers in the scripture. And the Bible gives us those answers. We, I had uh, Michael read this morning. Psalm 61. If we were doing a series, we would we would put Psalm 61 and Psalm 62, and we would just camp out there for a Sunday before we moved on to the next and the next and the next. But as I said, we don't we don't have that time now. But how grateful I am that in the moment of crisis, I have a rock higher than myself, and it's not a rock. If you look at the text, it's the rock, and and he's stable and and. While I'm weak and while I'm frail, he is unmovable, he is unshakable, and he is my shelter in an hour of storm. And it's to that rock we look to today. Spurgeon said, faith's greatest triumphs are achieved in her heaviest trials. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. Corey Tenboom said, there is no pit deep enough that God is still not deeper. The truth is, pain is a very good teacher, and it's no secret that life at times is 
very, very hard. I want to help you connect something that I had never connected before. It's possible all of you already made this connection. But it deals with the verse and it deals with this thought of suffering and glory. Suffering and the glory of God. Suffering and my response bringing God glory. And it's this verse. I'm guessing everybody here has it memorized. I want you to help me with it. I'm going to say the first part and then see if you can't fill in the second part. It's 1 Corinthians 10.31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, Wow. I have quoted that verse innumerable times. I have taught on that verse innumerable times. And it never once occurred to me that that includes suffering. Pull out the whatsoever and put in the word suffering. Let me read it that way to you. Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink or whether you suffer, whether you anguish, whether you hurt, whether you've been sinned against, whether you've been rejected, regardless of what you have lost, respond in such a way that it brings glory to God. Sort of gives a new twist to that verse, doesn't it? Sort of gives a deeper application, a deeper meaning, because whatever we do as believers, we're to do unto the glory of God. Why? Because we belong to Him. He bought us. I don't belong to myself. I belong to Him. He purchased me, paid for me. I'm His. He's my Lord. Praise the God for that, right? But with that, that means that all that I do is to bring glory to Him. That's my goal. That's our goal this morning, even as we have gathered together. And so my aim this morning is to help give you some simple disciplines that will help you. I was going to have for an illustration one of those big books of systematic theology up here and show it to you and say, what you need to have when you suffer is you need to understand this book. May I say that? If you understood that book, it would really help you when you'd suffer. I'm not belittling that at all. But I know this. I grew up on the ball field. My dad was an athletic director. I spent my younger years either in the gym or playing ball on the field. And many times, all of a sudden, I would get sucker punched. I'd fall. The ball would hit me in the gut. And the wind is completely knocked out of you. Ever been there? And when that happens, spiritually speaking, you need to have something on the inside that replaces that vacuum. And that needs to be the very words of the living God. There's only a few things you can grasp in crisis. And I can't tell you these are the only things. I'll tell you they're not the only things. But the things I'm going to share with you are simple and yet they're profound, and yet they're, they're simple and profound enough that if you'll grasp them, and if you'll exercise them, if you'll develop the spiritual muscles, it will help you in your hour of need to respond in a way that will bring God glory. So, that's my goal. Well, 
let's start down that path. And we have to start with the fact that our expectations, part of our difficulties is we have wrong expectations because we live here in America. We expect good days. We expect mostly good days. And the fact of the matter is there's nothing in the Bible that would portray that. And I could spend an awful lot of time just going over that. But Jesus said very clearly to his disciples, when you go there, as he's preparing them for his departure, the upper room, the going to the cross, over and over again in 14 and 15 and 16 of John, he says, let not your hearts be troubled, let not your hearts be troubled. And he concludes in 1633, and he says, These things I have spoken unto you, all these things that he has been saying to them, he says, that in me you might have peace. You don't need to have a troubled heart. Even when crisis comes, even when sorrow comes, even when a shock, a shocking result from the doctor comes, a phone call comes you hope would never come, you can still be at peace because he is the Prince of Peace and he's given you in the person of his Holy Spirit that peace. That peace, by the way, glorifies God. And he said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trials. You're going to have persecution. You're going to have difficult days. Things are going to go wrong. This is a broken world. It groans waiting for its redemption. And it's not getting better. And it's not going to get better for any of us. So the whole idea that I should have a good day is is a mistake to begin with from a biblical standpoint. It's, It's wrong. It's wrong approach on life. But he didn't just say we would have trouble. If he left it there, that would be sort of sorrowful. But he came and he went to the cross and he died and he rose again and he's coming back and we have all of his promises. He's preserved his word and he knows he's going to do this when he speaks to his disciples and so he says, yes, you're going to have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Now that's good news for troubled hearts. And when we're in that situation, we need that good news. Jesus didn't just say that. James said the same thing. James said, My brethren, count it all joy when... Notice he didn't say if you fall into trouble. He said when you fall into various trials. And if we looked at that passage, it would be because the testing or the perfecting of your faith is... A wonderful thing. It keeps you from being tossed and turned. It keeps you from being a double-minded man. It helps you to be established in the faith. So again, we see there's trials to be expected and an expected response. We're going to have joy. We're going to count it as joy. It's an accounting term. I'm going to account this as joyful that I hurt. Now, that's not natural, is it? That's supernatural. So that's something the Spirit of the living God has to do in us by grace, but we have to appropriate that grace and believe the truths that God has given us. Paul wrote about it extensively. And um, this is a rather lengthy passage. I'm just going to read a few of these verses found in 2 Corinthians. I would say 2 Corinthians probably more than any other uh, letter um, details his sufferings and his response to suffering. We know how at the end of the book, those verses, we love to um, 
quote and talk about the thorn in the flesh. I prayed three times and God chose not to remove it because it was necessary for me and I learned that I could boast in weakness. I could boast in pain. I can boast in travail. I can boast in trials because when I am weak, then what? I'm strong. Not he, but Christ, the Christ that lives within him. It strips away the dependency and it makes us totally dependent on the one who will carry us through every storm of life. And here, early in this epistle, in chapter 4, he says, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Look, there's times you won't understand. There's times you can't figure it out. There's times it doesn't make any sense. But if you're His, He will preserve you to the end. He who began a good work in you will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. You will finish the race. And so you put your eyes on Him knowing that even though you're pressed down, you're not going to be crushed. Not because of you. And not because the enemy perhaps is not bigger than you, but because there's a God that's bigger than your enemy. You you may be perplexed. You may be confused. But you don't have to despair about that. You don't have to know because He knows. And, and so all the way through that, that's what Paul is encouraging us with. And he says in verse 15, For all of these things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. You see, he's suffering, and he's going to suffer like a Christian. He's going to suffer with hope. He's suffering with thanksgiving, knowing that that will be grace to others who are watching him who are going to suffer. Do you know every single time you suffer and somebody sees you suffer like a Christian, that strengthens their backbone? That encourages them. Can I hear an amen? I can't name names because it would be just too difficult. But we got people right in here now suffering and we look at them and we go, glory to God. How do they do that? And we know how they do that. They don't do it, but Christ in them, the hope for glory, does it. And it encourages all of us. Does it not? But that's what we're all to be doing. That's what God's called us all to do. To suffer like a Christian. To suffer for the glory of Christ. That's the call of the New Testament. He goes on to say, Therefore, because of this, because we have this testimony in the Scripture, and because we have all of these people around us suffering in the same way, because we know these facts, therefore we do not lose heart. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, you ought to memorize You ought to soak out every single ounce that you can of this verse. For our light affliction. Right there you see his eternal perspective. I've heard Johnny Erickson Tata quote this verse and say that being a quadriplegic for 40 years, having breast cancer twice, is a light affliction lasting for a moment compared to the eternal weight of glory that she's going to experience one day. Oh God, give me that kind of faith. Let us be those kind of people that suffer 
that way, not an ounce of bitterness that I could ever tell in that woman. And yet we have people here, through the years that I've watched, suffer in such a way for the glory of Christ. Make us to be those kind of people. Let us to see that's what God calls us to. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 1, if you would. First Peter is, among other things, a book that helps us to understand how to suffer. I just want to take a few of these verses again and see how it's continually connected our suffering to God's glory. Look, if you would, at First Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice now, For a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith may be much more precious than cold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and the honor and the glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, Yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. I believe it was this passage that Ron Hamilton wrote that song, Rejoice in the Lord, He Makes No Mistake. What a uh, tremendous um, song that that is, written from this that has encouraged my heart in suffering many times. If you're not familiar with it, you ought to look it up and listen to it. It will encourage your hearts. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, please. Verse 12, we'll see the same thing. I have a not inspired heading in my text that says suffering for the glory of God. Um, but this, this passage speaks uh, right to that. Beloved, verse 12 in chapter 4, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trials which is... Um, concerning the fiery trials which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Trials aren't strange. They're normal. They're to be expected. But rejoice to the extent that you're partaking in Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And on their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody or other or people other people's matters. What he's trying to say there is there's a distinct difference between the way a believer suffers and the world suffers, and it should be obvious to everybody. Don't suffer like one of these people who don't know Christ, who are lost. How do we suffer? Verse 16, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him do what? Glorify God in this manner. Yes, we glorify God in our suffering. We suffer 
like a Christian. Look at chapter 5. Chapter 5 and verse 5 talks about being clothed with humility. Suffering humbles you, for sure. But that's not a bad thing, that's a very good thing. It says here that God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Look at verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so we see how that's all connected. Suffering is to be expected, and yet we know as we suffer, Life changes, everything changes, but we serve an immutable God. And God is unchanging and His truths guide us in our response to suffering in a way that brings Him glory and will bring light as a witness of His grace as others watch us. We're to suffer like a Christian. So, that's the basis Now I basically want to give you two things. I don't know how else to say it. There's there's two things. There's something that you need to believe. Pastor Farrell has been so skilled at helping us through the years to understand that our theology determines our what? Practice. We do what we believe. So it's very important what we believe. And... I want to give you three things. There's many things you should believe. One of the very first books that I was ever given to read as a new believer was Knowing God by I.J. Packard. Tremendous book. It would be good if I went back and read it every year. I don't because I always have a new book to read. But there's many attributes of God. We should study them all. But I've taken three that I think are absolutely critical that if you know them... They will help in giving you a right response. And then there is three simple responses. So I'm giving you three simple attributes, if you will, and three simple responses that flow out of those attributes because you know it that will help you in your time of crisis. That makes sense? You with me? All right. So here we are. What are three things that we have to know? Let me start and say, when I'm talking about no, and when the Bible's talking about no, I'm not talking about intellectual. I'm, I'm talking about it has to be experiential. It has to move from your head to your heart. Um, when, I, when I think about the best way of what I'm talking about here, I think of Second uh, Timothy 1.12, when Paul said to Timothy, For this reason I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. Notice again, He's suffering, but there's some things that he knew he needed to know. And because of that, he's not going to be ashamed. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what he said. You perhaps are familiar with the song. For I know whom I have believed. 
Okay, I've got to know something. I've got to believe something. I know whom I have believed, but he emphasizes it even further. And he says, and am persuaded. I believe it deeply. I believe it and I am persuaded. What, what did he know deeply? What was he persuaded about? That he, Christ, is able to keep that which I've committed to him against the day. That's the kind of persuasion, that knowing that we're talking about here that we need as believers. Doctrine is important. It's extremely important. And the attributes of God. And so there's, there's three attributes here that um, I want to give you. You ought to, you got to own them by grace. You, you need to be persuaded by this, by the power of the Spirit. And you need to pray them in. So that, so that, that, that they're yours. And then, and in the minute that thing hits you, or the minute that thing hits your friends, this is the first thing that you're thinking about. This comes out of you. Empowered by the Spirit, because it's in you, and it gives you a settled peace. And, and here they are. I have them up there, uh, on the screen. They're, they're really pretty simple. The first is, God is completely sovereign. He is completely sovereign. You need to settle that. Easily we could take a whole sermon just to look at that one topic. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing's too hard for God. There's nothing that He isn't in control of. He's in control of your pain. Your, your pain has purpose. There's, there's nothing you're going through that He doesn't understand, that He doesn't have a, a ability to handle. And, and that's why it's so critical that I have a grasp on this truth. God is, He's completely sovereign. He knows about your pain. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. He knows even if a sparrow falls from the sky. There isn't anything that God doesn't know. Every molecule and every atom in the universe is held together by Almighty God in Jesus Christ, Colossians 1, 16 and 17 tells us. If He lets it go, we're all gone. But He holds it together and in Jesus Christ, He's bringing it to a redemptive conclusion for the glory of Christ and we get to be part of that if we're His child. Isn't that a wonderful thing? But we have to be persuaded that it wasn't an accident, that it wasn't bad luck, that he wasn't being punitive. We have to understand that he is sovereign and he has a sovereign plan that he's working out for his glory and for the good of all of his children. Daniel 4.35 says, All the inhabitants of the earth are refuted as nothing. He does nothing. He, he does according to his will. In the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? Completely sovereign. Jeremiah thirty-two, twenty-seven. Behold, I am the Lord. I am God of all flesh, and there is nothing too hard for me. We don't have time, but you have the verses there. There is so many there that would edify you, particularly... I would encourage you to go read Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 12. Read it over and over and over again and let it give your heart peace that God is in control. Not only is God completely sovereign, but God is infinite in wisdom. He's the wonderful counselor. He's never confused. There's never a time that God is complex. There's never a time when he can't figure it out. He's not having a counsel up in heaven trying to figure out how to solve your problem. He knows it all. 
everything. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. The whole plan is hidden and he's working it out and he's laid it all out there in Genesis from Revelation to us and we can see it. We can see his working. That's why he, he says to us over and over again, if you lack wisdom, ask God. He'll give it to you liberally because he's the only one that has perfect wisdom. Early on, I memorized those amazing Verses in Romans 11, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been His counselor, or who has first given to Him, and it would be recompensed up to Him again. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Therefore, that's why we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to him and suffer like a Christian. Nothing is out of control. He has a plan for all your suffering, for all your sorrow. He's in the process of making everything new and so you can be of good cheer. Thirdly, God is perfect in love. Not only is God completely sovereign, not not only is God infinite in wisdom, but he is perfect in love. He uses his sovereign power and his infinite wisdom in his perfect redemptive plan to turn everything for his beloved children's glory, for his glory and his beloved children's good, and in his time. There's so many verses I could read on that, but let me read this that is most familiar with you and yet so critical. Read it with new eyes from Romans chapter 8. For we know that all things work together to good for those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, who he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If this God, who has done this, is for me. And who could be against me? What, what, what's a little suffering? And actually in this verse, all three, in these verses here, we can see God is completely sovereign. We can see He's infinite wise and He's carrying it out in, in perfect love. Someone expressed it this way that caught my attention. I think it was Jerry Bridges, but I'm not positive. God in His love always wills what is best for us. In His wisdom, He always knows what is best. And in His sovereignty, He has the power to bring it about. Well, praise the Lord. That's encouraging, isn't it? So, then what do we do? It's easy. That's why I had Him read 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. There's nobody here that can't memorize that. If you believe that he is completely sovereign, if you believe he's infinite in wisdom, never has made a mistake, never can make a mistake, he has the power to change anything, to do anything, the whole world is in his hands. We used to teach that to the Bible school children. He's got the whole world in his hands. And he does. And he's working it all out, his redemptive plan for his glory and for your good in, in perfect, perfect love. And so we do these three things then as a result of that. If we, if we honestly believe that, then what do we do? We rejoice always. And again I say rejoice.
Paul says the same thing in Philippians that he says here in 1 Thessalonians. That's what we do, rejoice. Do you rejoice in suffering? We're to rejoice in suffering. Why would we rejoice? Because I'm not in hell. Why would we rejoice in suffering? Because I have the Holy Spirit that dwells in me. I'm part of a church that's going to pray for me. Why would we rejoice? Because heaven is my home. Because I have all the promises of God. His word is totally sufficient. I've been adopted into the family of God. Jesus Christ is coming back for me personally. Oh, I think I have some things to rejoice about. Amen? We need to think about what we have, not what we've lost. Because what we've lost is temporary. What we have is eternal. So we rejoice. We rejoice always. Perfect illustration is Paul and Silas, Acts 16, in the pit of a jail. Jailed and beaten unlawfully as a Roman citizen. And you know the story. What did he do at midnight? He sang and he gave praise. And it was the very first jailhouse rock. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In your pain and your suffering, God knows. And so I leave you with this. I'm here by God's appointment. Wherever you find yourself, whatever your struggle, whatever your sorrow... You're also here in His keeping. You're under His training for a glorious purpose. Oh, there's purpose, no matter how purposeless it seems, there's purpose for Him, His glory, and for your good. And you're here for a time, but there's an eternal glory coming. So, I gave you in your handout some practices we were in a counseling session. I'd send you home and have you do the homework. Take your handouts and uh, use them. Go over them. I'd hope that we would have time to go over each one and I could give you some encouragement in that, but we don't. And then we'll end uh, with this verse. Therefore, whatever you eat or drink or suffer, do all for the, do all for the glory of God. I've asked Pastor Tim to close... Excuse Pastor Tim, where did that come from? That's called long-term memory when you can't remember where your keys are yesterday. I asked Pastor Stephen to do something a little different for our closing. I want you to stay seated. I gave you a list of songs there that would be so edifying to you to listen to over and over again. He's going to come and sing one. It's called In Brokenness You Shine. And I want you to pray and and meditate and consider the truths. If, if, if you need to pray, you're, you're welcome to go to the prayer room. or You can pray wherever. You stay right where you pray. I'm not, I'm not trying to keep you from praying. I'm not trying to keep you from responding. But I, I want you to consider deeply the truths that we've heard, have time to pray about it. Think about uh, the magnitude of, of this song. Christ wants to shine brightly through you when we're broken. We are broken. We're a broken people. But we have a glorious God. And may we rest in that wonderful truth. Pastor Stephen.
life becomes a shattered dream Slipping through my trembling hands I need to know that you are near To know you see each falling tear When there is no one else who understands When I can't find the words to speak Hear the pain in each heartbeat Before I even call to you In my deepest hour of need That's when you come and pour Your mercy on me Your beauty shines Your love surrounds Where cries of are found. Bring hope alive. Help me believe and trust you one more time in brokenness. You shine in brokenness. You River flowing from my grief, where thirsty souls can drink their fill and find in you their hearts release, and through my sorrow show your freedom and hope, your beauty shines, your love surrounds where cries of broken are found, bring hope alive, help me believe, and trust you one more time, in brokenness you shine, how could I know, when others said a word or two, then walked away, that you, the man of sorrows, would come near to stay. You'll always stay. Your beauty shines, your love surrounds. Where cries of brokenness are found, bring hope Can I?